Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Late night, midnight on the interstate. I didn't feel so great until I saw the city. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, everybody, as always, for joining in. My guest today, very special guest, Kyle Brodziak, as we continue our series looking back at the glory days of the 20-year history of the Minnesota Wild. Kyle Brodziak was actually the first player trade in the Chuck Fletcher regime way back in 2009. The Wild acquired him at the entry draft, and uh, and Kyle came to the Minnesota Wild from uh, the Edmonton Oilers, his hometown Oilers, uh, and uh, became one of the great checking centers in Wild history. Great face-off man, great penalty killer, stand-up guy in the locker room. And and this week, we, we have a fun conversation where we talk about the Wild. We talk about how he was the guy that knew that Nino Niederreiter's uh, shot went under the crossbar, hit the the camera and came out in Game Seven against uh, against the Colorado Avalanche to advance to the next round against the Chicago Blackhawks. So we talk all about that, but but most importantly, we're talking about uh, something that Kyle's going to be doing this week, and that's playing in the world's longest game, 252 hours of hockey to raise money for cancer up in Edmonton. It's to honor his late father, Dale. Uh, Dale died at age 42 of cancer when Kyle was just 14, never got to see Kyle's successful, almost 1,000-game hockey career. So we talk about that and why he's playing in the game, and we talk about his future. Um, This has been a a really crazy week for the Minnesota Wild since uh, we did the Curtis Curtis Foster podcast last week. I mean, just think of everything that's happened this week. First of all, we find out that Marco Rossi, um, has COVID-19 complications. I think it's something that we've pretty much uh, known for the last month, but the Wild uh, acknowledged that for the first time. And he returned to Austria. The goal now is to get him healthy. I did a big story in The Athletic yesterday where I talked to his agent, um, Serge Paye, about what went on with Marco and how absolutely unexpected this came after World Junior Championships when he did his cardiac screening and blood work with the Wild doctors and failed his physical. And uh, it showed that he had long-term effects of of COVID-19. Um, they've gotten encouraging news in the last three weeks, but he went back to Austria and his job now is to do nothing. Don't exercise, don't skate, just get healthy. And in six weeks, he'll either come back to Minnesota to reassess or do um, virtual doctor's appointments from over there so he doesn't have to fly back. But the goal is to get him ready for training camp next year. But then also since the Curtis Foster podcast, Kevin Fiala boards Matt, Matthew Roy in the corner um, against the Los Angeles Kings earns a three-game suspension. He'll serve that final game tonight against the Colorado Avalanche and come back Thursday night. Man, the Wild need him because then they lose Marcus Johansson to an injury, Matt Dumba to a serious-looking lower body injury, and now Marcus Foligno has tested positive for the coronavirus, and the hope now is that they've uh, they've maintained that that they... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Constrain? Probably not. Uh, But keep this to just Marcus and nobody else, which just seems so hard when you look around the league and you see these outbreaks in teams, whether it's Chicago or Vegas or New Jersey. Tonight, Buffalo and Islanders are are postponed. So the hope is that just Marcus Foligno is contained um, and then uh, nobody else gets it. Uh, but man, you know what? Uh, the Wild come out in game two against the Avalanche after getting steamrolled the first game. And you just think with, you know, a, a mishmash lineup and Jerry Mayhew in the lineup and Luke Johnson and Kyle Rao that they're just going to get smoked in game two. And what do the Wild do? They get Cam Talbot back in the lineup, a couple goals from Victor Rask, a game winning goal from Jonas Bardeen, another great game from Jordan 
Byron Greenway and great contributions from those three taxi squad guys. And they pull out a gritty win in game two of this four game set against the Avalanche. Now they go to Denver. They play these two games here and then they come back for a four game homestand against the Arizona Coyotes and the St. Louis Blues. But without further ado, one of my favorite players that I've covered in the 20 year history of the Minnesota Wild, Kyle Brodziak. And as promised, Kyle Brodziak, uh, one of the best checking centers in Wild history, the first player trade in the Chuck Fletcher era, almost half his 917 career regular season games with the Wild, 129 goals, 296 points, great face-off man, great penalty killer, and honestly, Kyle, one of the most stand-up guys in the Wild locker room, win or loss, usually after loss, we used to go up to you because we were you were just so, 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 so honest. And so I, I always felt bad for you because you just almost knew that after every loss, so we were going to ask for Kyle Brodziak because you were such a great quote. But most importantly, your claim to fame, you were once the Wild's leading goal scorer at Christmas time. Do you remember that? <laughs> um... I think I do remember that. Yeah, I think I do remember that. You scored your 10th goal. I still remember it. You scored your 10th goal in Arizona at Christmas time. And that was the year that like the Wild had just acquired like Danny Heatley and Setaguchi and all these shooters. And you were, I think, on a line with Heater. And uh, and there, Kyle Brodziak, leading goal scorer at Christmas, just like we all re- we all like expected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do remember that year. Yeah, I've got uh, a... I think that was yeah, definitely my best offensive production uh, season that I had ever had. So uh, it, it was a lot of fun that year. It came at a good time, a contract year. You signed a four-year extension, right? Uh, three-year. Oh, yeah, three-year three extension. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a, uh, it was good timing for sure. In 2009, I mean, you know, and, and by the way, we're going to talk to uh, Kyle about, as I mentioned uh, earlier, the world's longest game and, and why he's doing it, which is really, really special. And today's a big day. Kyle's actually going to move into his trailer today for the game that starts in two days, 252 hours. We're going to talk a lot about that. But Kyle, you know, 2009, um, obviously Chuck Fletcher knew you from actually your time when I believe Wilkes-Barre split a farm team with Edmonton and, and Pittsburgh. So he knew you from there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first couple of years, uh, actually my first year of pro, I played for the Edmonton Roadrunners in the AHL. Uh, then the next two years, Edmonton didn't have their own farm team. So all the guys got loaned out to, to different teams. Um, my second year, I ended up playing uh, with Dallas's farm system, the Iowa Stars. And then my third year, I was uh, in Wilkes-Barre uh, with Pittsburgh's farm team. Uh, so I got to know, uh, I got to know Chuck Fletcher a little bit that year. Uh, Todd Richards was, uh, was my head coach there. And, and obviously he was the coach hired, uh, the first coach hired under, uh, under Chuck Fletcher. So, so it was, yeah, I, I came into a good situation where, uh, where they both knew me and, uh, they both, they both liked my game. So it was, uh, it, it was a good situation to come into for sure. Obviously, you know, you're, you're from Edmonton. Um, you're, you're playing your first four years. You're actually from St. Paul, Alberta, by the way, I should say that. Um, but, uh, but your first four years in the NHL, you're playing for your hometown team. And then all of a sudden in the middle of June, you get the call that you're traded to the wild. I mean, that those have to be like, I've got to think sometimes in the middle of a hockey season, you're always on pins and needles thinking I could be traded at any time. But when you're, you're not thinking hockey in the middle of June, that's got to be the most blindsided trade that you ever get, right? Uh, yeah, it, it was a little, uh, to be honest, I, we were trying to, we were trying to negotiate a contract with Edmonton for, uh, for a couple of weeks before that and just didn't seem to be getting anywhere. Um, and my agent had, he had, he kind of mentioned, uh, he just said he felt like something was up. Uh, like we, we were, weren't really getting anywhere when we thought we should have been. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it, it definitely was, you know, you never expect to get traded or expect it to happen. But uh, when it did happen, it, it, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of almost like, uh, yeah, I guess you, you could kind of see it coming now, uh, now that it actually happened. But uh, yeah, never easy. But, uh, you know, like I said, it, it was good to go into a situation where I had some familiarity, at least with, uh, uh, with uh, Todd and with Chuck. So it was... Uh, um, you know, something that I was, I was definitely looking forward to. I didn't really know any of the guys on the team. 
Uh, I hadn't really crossed paths with, uh, with any of the guys. I think the only guy that I would have maybe crossed paths with, uh, was Harding, uh, Josh Harding. Mm -hmm. And, um, when, you know, we played against each other for a few years in, in the WHL, but, um, yeah, that, that was, that was pretty much the only guy that I, that I might've had any ties with at all. I still remember your agent, by the way, Elaine Wah, right? Yep. 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 Yep, he was always good, especially, uh, you know, always forthcoming whenever it was contract negotiations and things like that with you. Um, let me ask you, you know, I mentioned being a stand-up guy, and, and you know, Wild fans have grown accustomed to me always joking that uh, whenever whenever the Wild acquired, like they acquired Ian Cole last week, and, you know, I throw all his stats on Twitter, and I say, but most importantly, a great quote. <laughs> you know, Wild fans yeah. are always, always accustomed to me being very selfish when it comes to, like, uh, what I think about the value of players, but, but genuinely – as I'm sure Wild fans are already hearing on this, you you were a great, great quote and a very, very stand-up guy. And, you know, you really reminded me of an old-school hockey player. Like, I remember my early years covering the NHL. You would walk into a locker room and you would see 10 guys sitting at their stalls, you know, slowly untaping their gear and things like that. And, <laughs> and writers would have sort of the run in the mill. And a lot of times you walk into a locker room now and you're lucky if one person's still sitting in their stall. And we're talking about five-minute cool-off periods. But you always, win or loss, you were always just, I still I still remember it. I mean, you sat right in the middle of the locker room and you, a lot of times, we'd walk in and you'd just be staring down at the carpet. You know, one, why were you so slow <laughs> taking off your gear? And two, it just seemed like you were always more than willing to talk to us. Well, let's clear the air about something first. I never enjoyed talking after a loss. <laughs> that was I know I know I always got um, selected. I, I, I always got selected. I always kind of I kind of expected it. Um, you know, I, I felt like I could you know, I I could maybe keep my head even after uh, after a loss where, you know, some guys just they just detested talking after a loss or or uh, you know, they would take off but my generation, I grew up, like, at the end of a hockey game, sometimes I'd sit there for 45 minutes or an hour in my gear. You, you don't really want to move. You're tired. You kind of just want to sit in your gear and, you know, get it, get it, take it off as slow as you can and kind of hang out. But, uh, obviously, times have changed. And, uh, you know, usually there's, what is it, a five-minute, uh, the players have five minutes before the media get in there. So, you, you know, a lot of guys are kind of in a hurry to get out of there. But... I still had I had a tough time letting go of that. Where I, you know, I'll I'll deal with talking to the media, but I just want to sit. I just want to sit in my gear and kind of and just hang out for a few minutes and unwind a little bit. You could always tell, like the player that doesn't want to talk to us, like he'll like you know almost like like animatedly look at the board to like show us that you're you know the number is not on the board you know when we go yeah. up to you and uh but you never were like that you always uh and we're like that with Felino now Felino's kind of like our lost quote in the wild locker room and it, it was funny a couple of years ago Ryan Suter we started to realize that almost after every loss we would get Ryan Suter because he's so honest after a loss and almost like politically yeah. incorrect and then one day he had this great game in New Jersey they won the game and we asked for Suter after the game and he was like again and we're like well we figured we'd get you after a win for once yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's I know I, it's weird. Some guys just you know, some guys are I guess more capable of doing it after a loss, and some guys are better doing it after you know after good things are happening. So yeah, it's uh, it, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, you know, I I never really loved doing it after a loss, but at, you know, at the end of the day, it's still part of your job, and you. Uh, every you know everybody's got to contribute to that for sure. Right. When we um talk about your style. Kyle, I mean, you were you were a gritty player. I mean, penalty killer, shot blocker, uh, great faceoff man. I mean, it, does there come a point in in every hockey player's career that you've just got? Were you always like that in junior, or did you? Or is there that point where you've all got to say, you know what? If I'm going to make it, I've got to adopt to this type of style. Uh, I I think it started in junior. Um, yeah, I, my coach in junior, Curtis Hunt, uh, he. When I was young, 16, 17 years old, my first couple of years in junior, uh, he really stressed the defensive side for me, uh, learning how to play the, the defensive side of the game, uh, becoming a checking centerman. Uh, and, and his reasoning was always if I, if I was ever wanted to make the NHL, that that's the type of game that I would have to play. So, um, you know, I took that to heart and, 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 you know, made it a point of pride to, to 
you know, play hard defensively and be hard to play against. So uh, I, I would say that my probably my style throughout my NHL career definitely it definitely evolved and it definitely changed. Um, my first couple of years in the league, I, I you know I, I played a little more offensively, I guess, than uh, you know than the second half of my career. Probably uh, it was you know once um, I would say pretty much. When when Yosey came in, uh, I, I I think it was the second year that he was there is kind of when my role started to change. Um, it it became more of a, a of a defensive center where um, you know before I was probably still trying to to play a little more offense, uh, and then you know that year that 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 second year uh, with Yosey there. Uh, we had a lot of young guys coming in. Granlin was coming in. Uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, Zucker came in. Uh, so my my role changed, and um, you know, going into the year, I knew it was gonna it was gonna change a little bit, and uh, went to a little more defensive role, and and pretty much stayed with it, uh, you know, the rest of my career after that. You um. You know, you were really tight with Miko Koivu. You came to a thousandth game uh, celebration. Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to play that game, which meant that he got to at least spend time with you uh, yeah. in in the box. Um, before we talk about Koivu, I mean, the one thing I do remember, Kyle, about you being there is just it was painful watching you walk. Um, oh, I was in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. and that's how your career ended. Uh, you know, you're only 36 years old, and you were still a functional, very good player at the end there, but but you're back. I mean, you know, how are you now, and, and how tough was it to sort of really have your career end before it probably should have? Uh, yeah, you know what, the, with that, I I would say that, well, right now, my like, actually, my back is doing pretty good right now. I went through uh, I went through a phase last winter, pretty much right during uh, the Koibu celebration. Um, I had heard because that was in mid that was in the middle of December. December yep. Uh, so I I remember it was at the start of November. I kind of hurt my back again, just uh, tweaked something, and uh, it, for some reason it lasted a lot longer. I, I kind of dealt with it uh, all of November, all of December. Uh, and just thinking, I could. I've I've gone through this process before. I you know I should be able to uh, to figure out how to how to get myself better again because I've I've done it a few times and uh, and pretty much remembered the regiment that I was going through with the trainers to to get myself back healthy. But for some reason last winter I couldn't. Uh, I was really struggling with it, so I, I finally went to, at the start of January to. Uh, I, I finally went to see somebody that the, that the Oilers had hooked me up with and uh, pretty much took me till sometime in February to get it better. Uh, so it was a couple months of, uh, of struggling with it. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a bit of an eye opener that, uh, you know, this is something that I'm going to be having to deal with, uh, you know, probably the rest of my life. And, um, you know, if I want to make it easier on myself, then I'm going to have to put in, put in the work, uh, put in the daily work to, uh, just to keep my core strong and, and keep my body strong. So uh, I've done a fairly decent job of that for uh, for the last year, and I, you know, I, I, I've got myself at least to a point where you know I, I can get out of bed and put socks on comfortably without uh, without that being too much of a struggle. So uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating a little. Like I, I do feel pretty good right now. So. Uh, definitely happy to, to to be keeping that up. Well, I remember Zach Parisi was telling me about his back struggles. I mean, you know, the final straw for him is that his wife would have to take him to dinner, and he would lie in the back of their SUV because he couldn't sit sit normally in a in a car. He used to eat standing up. Uh, I mean, it's just got to be just excruciating yeah. what you guys put your your bodies through. Yeah, I I went through a few of those uh, phases as well last year, like like when I was staying at the uh, November December where. I'd go to go to a restaurant with uh, with my wife, and I'd end up having to go back out into the car. I couldn't uh, I couldn't sit down in the restaurant for very long. So it was uh, it was a few yeah a few tough stretches, but uh, you know, th- thankfully we're we're surrounded by some of the best trainers in the world who uh, you know who know how to take care of us and, and know how to get us back to back to health uh, pretty quickly. What is it about Miko that made you two connect so well that you would actually, you know, fl- fly here in the middle of your pain and, and uh, take part in that ce- celebration? 
Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know what it was exactly, uh, but we, we definitely, we definitely hit it off right away. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we played just playing against each other for a few years when I was in Edmonton and we kind of battled, uh, you know, being centermen, we battled a little bit with each other. And I think once we became teammates, that kind of carried over where, uh, we would, you know, during practice, we'd battle each other pretty good and. Uh, I know some of the guys would get a kick out of it sometimes watching us go at each other, but, uh, yeah, he just, uh, he was a guy that, uh, you know, I, I loved his, uh, I loved his demeanor. Um, I loved his leadership skills, how he, uh, how he just genuinely had a passion for, uh, for the game of hockey and for the team to do well and to do the right things. Uh, just a lot of qualities that I, uh, I really looked up to him. So I, uh, yeah, he was a great friend and, um, a great teammate and yeah, one, definitely one of my favorites ever. I'm just looking at your, uh, your stats here, Kyle. I can, uh, I forgot this, that your first seven years in the NHL, you missed six games. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, t- stability is just crazy. Your time with the Minnesota wild. How about this? 82 games your first year, 80 games your second year, 82 games your third year, 48 games your fo- which was the lockout short and full season, 81 your your last year here, uh, or your second to last year here. So, I mean, it's just it's crazy the stability that you had. Sorry, I just had to point that out. No, that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I always looked at it as, uh, you know, staying healthy is, I would say, part Partly a skill and partly part luck as well. Uh, there's some guys who, who just seem to have terrible luck and, uh, you know, there's some guys who just, who get lucky. So I, I do think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of luck involved, but there's probably a, a, a level of, uh, of skill involved with it too, I guess. I, I, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, Again, I want to talk to you about the world's uh, longest game. I also want to talk to you about one of the most emblematic moments in Wild history, which was 2014 Game 7. But um, let me just, before we talk about the world's longest game, let me ask you about Jared Spurgeon uh, being named captain, the heir apparent to Miko Koivu, somebody you played with for six uh, six years. Actually, uh, five years. Five years, six years you played with okay, him. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what's amazing? I mean, you were on that 2010 team where he made his NHL debut, and I talk about it all the time. None of us had even heard of him when he was called up in Calgary on his 21st birthday and here he is 10 years later the captain of the team um you know tell us a little bit about the maturation and development of uh of Jared Spurgeon oh it's uh I think it's an amazing story uh I I don't know I don't know how much maturation there is I mean when he was 20 years old he was probably more mature than than the rest of the guys in the room already at that point anyway but uh he was he's just an as you know, he's just an awesome guy. Uh, everything he stands for, everything he does, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the right way. Um, he, he does everything the right way. He on, on the ice, off the ice, um, just the way he lives his life is, is something that, that, uh, you know, everybody should be looking up to and trying to emulate. Um, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that, uh, it's, He's had to overcome a lot of things, and um, he, he's done it the right way, and he's, uh, he should be very, very proud of it. And I, I couldn't be happier for him, and I couldn't be happier that the organization went out. It, it probably wasn't an easy decision to make him captain. Uh, There's probably some other, you know, more popular choices, but uh, in my mind, it was the right choice, and, and I couldn't be happier for him. Um, starting Thursday... To February 14th, this is just crazy to me, 40 <laughs> players, 252 hours of hockey to raise money to fight cancer. They're playing in the world's longest game up in Edmonton at the Sakers Acres um, to yeah. try to break the Guinness World Record for longest game. Um, if you want to check this out, by the way, go to world uh, worldslongestgame.ca slash donate to donate money as well. They're trying to raise a bunch of money. They've already, over the years that they've done this, raised more than $5 million. bucks. Um, First of all, how does this work? I mean, you're not obviously out there for 252 hours. They give you a trailer, right, that you could live in? For uh, So every, I think pretty much everyone is kind of expected to bring their own trailer. Okay. Uh, my mom and uh, stepdad had a fifth wheel that I will be borrowing. Um, <laughs> so there, there's, uh, 
Yeah, I went out there the other day, and there, it looked to be there, there's got to be almost 40 trailers out there uh, that are all just lined up uh, just in an open field. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty crazy. Um, I know that our, our shifts uh, they, they kind of go so there, it's two teams of 20 uh, divided into two lines of 10. I guess each team is uh, is divided into two lines of 10. So uh, it sounds like our shift. Our shifts go uh, four hours on, four hours off, four on, four off, and then you do an eight-hour shift on, and then you get an eight-hour shift off, and then you kind of repeat that cycle. So you're pretty much on the ice. Uh, you know, it averages out to twelve hours a day for the for the 12, uh, 12 or so days that we're doing this. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of hockey. Wow, and and I mean, you're back gonna hold up. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. I really, I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it as, as long as, and as long as, and as hard, sorry, as I can. Uh, um, yeah, I, I know that there's, uh, there's gonna be some stuff I'm gonna have to do in between, uh, you know, in between sessions to, to kind of take care of it, uh, just to make sure that, uh, I'm staying on top of it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I really hope so. I, I, I'm really counting on it to, to hold up. So we'll, uh, we'll see as it goes. You, um, you know, I've talked to you about your father, Dale, before, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, uh, before you were on, Kyle, is that your, your, your dad passed away of cancer at age 42 when you were just 14. 23 years later, you're, you're playing in this event. Um, you know, how, how did that just, you know, tragic event really transform your life? Uh, yeah, it, it transformed my life big time. Um. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably hard to pin down exactly, uh, you know, the ways that it did that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I guess my, you know, probably the most important years of my life, I, I didn't really have my most important role model. So uh, I think, you know, there was some, uh, you know, probably some difficulty finding, uh, you know, finding my direction that I wanted to go into or with my life. And, um you know, it probably took me a, a few years longer than, um, you know, than I would have liked to, to kind of, you know, land on my feet again and figure out, you know, who I was and, uh, and things like that. But, uh, you know, saying that uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that go through it. I, I would, you know, I'm fortunate to have, uh, to be surrounded in my life by a lot of people that, uh, uh, you know, that helped me, uh, get through that difficult time. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't easy and it, it still isn't easy today, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it was very unfortunate. The, um, and I know your mom was somebody that was just a hero in your life, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. She was, um, uh, she was unbelievable. Just, uh, yeah, just, you know, what she did a anything for me. Um, you know, she also. You know, having to raise three kids on her own and uh, still finding a way, still managed to, you know, for all, all of us to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, she gave us whatever we, whatever we needed, whatever we wanted. And, um, you know, it probably, probably could have been easy for her to, to, uh, to do away with a lot of those things for us. But, you know, after my dad passed, but, uh, you know, she, she let me continue playing hockey and, and drove me wherever I needed to go to, to, uh, to play hockey and, and put up with me when I was a, a terrible teenage, uh, <laughs> you know, a teenage boy at home when, uh, yeah, you know, going through, going through whatever we were going through as kids as well. And, uh, she was a rock for us. So there, uh, you know, there's, uh, it was, you know, grateful to this day that, uh, you know, she, she led us, uh, through the hardest times of our life. So merrily, right? Marielle. Yeah, Marielle. She she was she yeah. on the mother son trip? Uh, you know what? I I was I never was okay. part of a team that that did a mother's trip. Okay. I was but always a, It must have yeah. been the year before you got here. Yes, it would have been Doug Reisbrus last year actually. So Okay. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, because I but I do remember meeting her one one day. I cannot remember where. It was at a wild game. It might have been in Edmonton. Maybe it was the game where you didn't you score a shootout goal in Edmonton? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the great one, wasn't it? You you were like round like eight or something, right? It was like late. Uh, 
Yeah, I, you know what? I think it might have been earlier that game. Okay. I, I want to say six, maybe six or seven. I think I had uh, I had a pretty good game. That's that's the yeah. only reason why I was that high in the lineup on a shootout. Normally, I'd be down around around at least ten or or even even lower than that. But I, I had a good game. I think I scored one or two goals already in the game, uh, or maybe had a goal and assist. So. I think Yosi must have uh, felt <laughs> confident with uh, with me, but uh, yeah, I think it was around uh, six or seven, and and I, you know, I was fortunate to put one in. I feel like Nick Schultz had a great quote after the game where he said he started to get nervous when you got picked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Schultz, of course, would say something like that. <laughs> uh, that's good. Oh man, that's funny. Back here with Kyle Brodziak. Uh, thanks everybody as always for listening to Straight from the Source. And again, you can always subscribe to the Athletic at theAthletic.com/slash/straightfromthesource. Great uh, deals going on right now. This one is three ninety nine a month. Also, great podcasts across the Athletic. Uh, 2022 Winter Olympics are one year out, and uh, former NHL coach Ken Hitchcock joined Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron on Two Man Advantage this week at the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, Wednesday, and Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, spends 60 minutes with Craig Custance on the full 60. Uh, Kyle, um, you are at the end of, we're 20 years into the wild history, and there's three probably iconic moments that I can think about. One is Andrew Burnett's uh, goal. Uh, two would be probably Mary Gabrick's five-goal game, but the third one is Nino Niederreiter's game-winning goal in Colorado, game seven. Uh, you get the primary assist, and you were the one that knew that puck went in the net. I mean, the, the sound of you jumping up screaming <laughs> is still something that I think will go down in wild lore as, as being something, you know, 50, 100 years from now, we're going to see Kyle Brodziak jumping up and down with Nino Ugh. in the corner. Uh, tell us about that whole game. It was it was just such a, you know, one of those gnaw off your fingernails games. You guys were down four times in that game. Yeah, it just, I don't know, it was one of the, it was, and not one of I, I would still put it as the wild or the craziest. Sorry, I said wildest, but the crazy, <laughs> like the the craziest game I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Um, and I remember, I even halfway through the third period, I remember sitting on the bench thinking, "This game is crazy already." Like it's just back and forth and back and forth, and you never really know what was going to happen. And uh, it just, yeah, I, you know they. They would score to take a lead, and and we'd come back and and tie it, and then they take a lead again, and then that goal that that Spurge scored, I think it was what four minutes left. No, it was, uh, it was less than that. He scored. I'll tell you exactly. Uh, scored with two minutes and twenty seven seconds left. Really, so overtime. Yeah, two twenty seven. Okay, yep. three. But just just the way that play unfolded, like it, it just kind of felt like this. Something something weird is happening right now. Like it was, uh, like it was meant to be. Where you know we just kept kept finding a way to come back, and uh, you know I, I I felt like during the whole series we just it, it was like we were never getting any of the bounces. Like we were true, we were playing well, but it just seemed like everything was going against us. And for that game to to finally have things go our way, it just uh, it, it was, excuse me, it was just amazing. It was an amazing game to be a part of, and ne- I'll never, ever forget it. Yeah, that that series, the home team had won the previous six games. Um, there were two goals that, that Colorado scored that were game-changing goals that they, uh, if the offsides challenge appeared at that point, would have been overturned. Um, that was a, a series where Nathan McKinnon was absolutely unbelievable at home, but couldn't function in Minnesota in large part because of people like Kyle Brodziak and Eric Halla, who they really threw him on at home. But that game seven line of you, Nina Ryder, and Danny Heatley, uh, for the analytics people out there, they, they, I bet you if you look that up, that game, you spent the entire <laughs> night with the puck. Um, you had three assists in that game. You made some unbelievable plays coming over the goal line for one of Niederreiter's uh, first tying goals, and then obviously the game-winning goal as well. Yeah, I, uh, that series was a bit of a roller coaster for me. Um, I know early on, I what was I think it was maybe game one. I just had a real tough time. Uh, I made one terrible giveaway. Uh, had you know, I think. I just vaguely remember uh, a couple just defensive, you know, defensive mistakes that I was making, uh, you know, having trouble. I had 
had trouble shutting down that line. Uh, and then I, I think it was health. It was a healthy scratch in game three. Mm-hmm. Um, you and Heatley, and I remember. I think Heatley was scratching that series as well. Oh, he was. Yeah, he, I, yeah. I can't remember that, but uh, yeah. So I remember getting getting scratched, uh, and you know what, Halla Halla came in and did an unbelievable job against McKinnon because that. That is not an easy task, but uh, um, you know he the way the, the way he shut uh, the way he shut McKinnon down. That was you know a huge uh, a huge reason why we we were able to come back in the series and eventually win. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just a roller coaster series for me. Yeah, I, I went through uh, you know a lot of down points and uh, early on, and then uh, later on as the series progressed, I thought I, I, I started playing better and better. And, uh, game seven, yeah, it was just one of those, uh, yeah, like I said, it was, it almost felt like it was meant to be where, uh, you know, every time we stepped on the ice, we were finding a way to, to, to do something positive and, and score a goal to tie the game back up or, or, you know, it just, it just, uh, was one of those crazy games that, uh, you know, it just felt like, um, yeah, I don't even know the right word for it, um. Just yeah, after dealing with all the you know all the a lot of negative stuff that didn't really feel like it was deserved all the time, um, you know it was almost like a little vindication at the end of the game where uh, you know the the hockey gods just felt like it, they uh, they said everything uh, they said everything straight after that. I did an oral history on uh, Game Seven, uh, twenty fourteen, which you were kind enough to be a part of last March, uh, which just seems like a month ago, but it. Nearly yeah. 10 months ago. It's crazy. Um, but the, And it, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and never read that oral history, it's really entertaining. And I think Wild fans would absolutely love it. So just tweet me and I'll, I'll send out the link. Um, but the one thing that you said in there that, I, if I remember correctly, was hilarious was that, you know, you were you were the one that knew that puck went in. It went in and out. Even the broadcasters, some of them weren't positive and they were just sort of going off your reaction that you were jumping up and down, yelling and everything. But you actually said that at one point you were actually like worried, like, what if I'm wrong here? This is going to be yeah. one embarrassing, <laughs> humiliating thing yeah. if all of a sudden we play on and you caused the entire wild bench to filter onto the ice. Yeah. I, I You know what? Like, it's it's crazy because uh, there's always a certain sound. It, it's not like I, I visually saw the puck go in because it, you, you watch the replay, it was in and out so fast that – um, you know, it's more the sound that it makes, uh, when it hits the back, like the inside bar. And that's when you, that, that's what made me jump, start jumping right away. It's just like my immediate reaction was, well, that's in for sure. Uh, and then you see, I, you, you see heaters scrambling around to try to put it in. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking, holy, maybe it didn't go in. There's other guys that are still playing here that, that obviously aren't sure that it went in. Uh, like there's there's a just a flash of this could be bad if if it turns <laughs> out that 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 uh, it uh, it didn't go in but yeah it was uh, you know I, and then after that obviously you know everybody starts celebrating and then you get the word that it was in for sure and uh, but yeah it was just kind of a, a surreal uh, a moment where you, you're almost positive it's in but also you know there's that shade of doubt that. It, it could look really ugly if uh, if it turns out that it didn't go in. So thankfully, it, thankfully it did count. You know, the other major part of that game was that you know Kemper gets hurt with probably seven minutes left and comes out, and in comes an ice cold Brzgalov who wasn't great earlier in the series. And as nutty and back and forth as that game was, Kyle, from the moment that 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 Brzgalov came in to the moment you won the game, you guys gave up one shot. So it's almost like, you know, it, it, there came a point in that game where you became this stingy team that said, you know what, we've got to protect this cold goalie here and go out and, and win this game. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, that's part of it I don't even remember. Like, I, I, I yeah, I, there's a lot, you know, probably a lot of parts of the game that, uh, you know, important parts that happened that, that I can't even remember. And that's how, kind of how crazy that game was. Uh so many, so many moving parts and so many different things that, that happened during the game to, uh, you know, for the result to turn out the way it did. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't remember, I, I vaguely remember, uh, Kemper leaving and, and Bruce <laughs> coming in, but, um, yeah, giving up one shot after that, uh, that's, and how, 
How far into overtime was Nino's goal? I it was exactly it was five oh two. Five oh two. So yeah. right, right around. So about 12, 12 13 minutes. Yeah. Of hockey, giving up one shot that's, to that juggernaut uh, at home. It's crazy. Yeah, that's 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 pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. Last question on the game. But by the way, the one thing I remember is game one in Chicago, where all of a sudden we're on the ice and Bob Mason is honestly skating up to your goalies, trying to figure out who's going to start that night because you know Pizgalov, Kemper. Uh, you know, John Curry was out there, uh, you know, backy, all that type of thing. Um, let me, yeah. last question on game seven is what was it like in the post-game locker room in terms of celebra- celebration? Because it, you didn't have time to breathe. You guys had to get on a flight that night and it was either going back to Minnesota or going to Chicago and it, you wound up, uh, you know, packing up, heading to the long trip to the airport and, and getting ready for game one against the Blackhawks two nights later. Yeah, this this celebration was short. Uh, like you said, I think you know you come in the dressing room and uh, there's about five minutes of just elation where guys are you know I think just cheering, uh, congratulating each other, doing whatever, and then all of a sudden you flip the switch and say, "Okay, we got to pack up and get out of here." Because even on a you know if we get out of here as fast as we can, we're still only going to get to Chicago at uh, around four in the morning. Uh, and basically a day and a half later, we're playing a, playing a game one. So, uh, so it was a quick turnaround. Uh, it, for sure, it was a quick turnaround. Just, uh, you know, like I said, five, five, ten minutes of, of celebrating, uh, and then it's move on. And, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, I remember, I, I do remember the guys are still on the bus ride to the airport because that's, uh, <laughs> Still a long, a long bus ride yep. from uh, from from uh, downtown Colorado to the airport. Uh, There's definitely guys were definitely having a few beers on the bus and and uh, you know kind of winding down a little that way. Uh, but it wasn't yeah, it wasn't too crazy of a you know after that. It's pretty much uh, you know try to try to try to calm yourself down and and, and turn your focus to to what's going on because. Uh, it, it's a, all of a sudden you, you start preparing for Chicago right away. Even that night, you you, you kind of um, yeah, you, you, you turn the page and, and you, you put your focus on uh, on Chicago and um, yeah, you start start mentally thinking about it uh, even that night. So uh, yeah, it, it was a quick turnaround, but uh, you know it would have been nice to to be able to celebrate that 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 game a little more. But uh, you know they, that's that's uh, that's that's part of it. Kyle, I know you got to move into your trailer today. If you don't mind, let me just throw you three or four Twitter questions. It's okay from Wild Die Hard. Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, Fetty Dean wants to know, uh, what is uh, Kyle's favorite memory as a Wild at the X? And could you imagine what it's like playing in an empty arena? Oh, at the X. Uh, oh, I had lots of good memories at the X. Um, oh, favorite, favorite, favorite. Uh... I'm trying to think of a certain a certain game, uh, a you know, big win that we had. It seemed like all the big wins we had were, <laughs> were on the road. Yeah, I remember the first time we ever, well, the first time we uh, clinched the playoff spot with the year before was also in Colorado. I think yep. the last game of the year. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, remember, you came home to play Edmonton. Backstrom was yeah. like. Backstrom and his crew was like 16 and 0 or something against the Oilers. It was crazy at home. And uh, yeah. and next thing you guys are like down 4 nothing after one and in came Harding. You had a win. It was the lockout shortened season. You had a win in Colorado in, in the final game to, to advance. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was also on the road. I'm trying to think. Was there any huge wins uh, that we had? Well, I, I, you know, I just love the, love the building and the atmosphere. I, I don't know if I have a, a specific, uh, specific moment. Just, uh, I just love playing in that rink. When come playoff time, that, that building is loud and it's, it is fun to play in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, spe- specific memory. I'll try to think of one. Uh, in the next few minutes, okay. I can't think. What was the second part of the question? Um, oh, just playing in an empty arena—that would—that's got to be odd. It's got to be odd, yeah. It's—it's it's probably taken uh, uh, guys quite a while to get used to. I'm sure they're not even used to it yet. Where uh, just can't—I can't even imagine playing a, a real 
NHL game where you could basically hear, you know, hear a pin drop in the arena. That that would be a, a kind of an eerie, an eerie feeling where, you know, you you're basically you could probably hear everything that's going on either bench, uh, which you know usually usually don't have uh, you know access to to listen to what's going on the opponent's bench. Uh, but I'm sure you know I'm sure guys can hear each other pretty clear out there. Uh, a lot of the talk that that goes on on the bench, so that's probably uh, you know taking guys a little bit to get used to. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. It would just <laughs> it would it would be really weird. That's for sure. Um, Hogama Dog Hockey. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, what's the difference about playing in Minnesota compared to Edmonton and, and St. Louis? Uh, well, I got to think. Uh, one difference is not having Drysdale and and McDavid to play with. That's probably <laughs> the biggest difference, right? Uh, well, I wasn't I wasn't going to go that angle, but <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, when you to play to have the you know the. That type of high end talent is it, it's uh, it is totally different. Um, it's incredible to have you know to be part of to be able to watch uh, watch those guys every day. Uh, but yeah, the difference. Uh, I mean, every, every three spots all had uh, different things to like about them. Uh, you know, Minnesota. My wife and I still talk about how much we love the city. Um, Still have connections there. Still have friends that that we keep in touch with there. Uh, just six years, and we loved every minute of it. From the first three years, the first three years we lived uh, we lived downtown Minneapolis, which uh, which was amazing. And then uh, the last three years, we had, we had bought a house in Edina and and got to experience that and and loved living there as well. Uh, and just you know the the way the organization treats you. Uh, the rink, the you know, being downtown St. Paul, that whole area uh, is is just a lot of great memories and um, yeah, just we you know we don't really have any negative things to say about our about our whole time in Minnesota. We still talk very highly of it. Um, yeah, I, I guess you know the difference maybe St. Louis was uh, St. Louis still has a, a big hockey following. Uh, obviously, not to the extent. Uh, uh, as as it is in Minnesota, um, I would like Minnesota and Edmonton are are very similar. Uh, you know, the weather is close. It's probably maybe Minnesota might be a little bit more mild of a winter, uh, but not much. Like it, it's yeah. uh, it's very similar. Uh, people are friendly. Um, you know, when we got traded to Minnesota, for people we that that had been there. Uh, they always said it's pretty much as close to a Canadian city as you're going to get, and we found that to be very true. Where, where uh, the people are, you know, just as friendly as they are here in Canada, and uh, you know, they treated us, they, you know, treated us a, as well as we could have hoped. Uh, Russo Slacks wants to know uh, which was more painful: laying down for blocking a PK slap shot, or having to talk to Russo after every game. <laughs> having, having to talk to you after losses <laughs> for sure. Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, more painful for sure would be the uh, the blocking shots on the PK. Um, yeah, there's one in particular I'll never forget. It was from uh, uh, Shea Weber uh, when he was in Nashville. Uh, there was one that got me on the inside of my thigh, and I had a bruise that pretty much took up about half my half I my thigh. That. So yeah, yeah. So that one, that's one block shot I'll never forget. And uh, thankfully, I only had one from him. So, uh, lastly, uh, Kyle, what's next? Uh, you, you know, you, you have 252 hours of hockey coming up. Uh, you know, the Wild, by the way, have a lot of holes at center. So, if you feel good after that 252 <laughs> oh, hours, yeah. I bet you, Billy, Billy Garen would probably sign you and put you at first line center <laughs> at this point. Um, but oh, but what is, what's next for you? Uh, you know, I, I I'm not sure yet. I I you know when basically when hockey uh, came to an end. I, I decided that I wanted to uh, take some time and uh, spend spend as much time at, at home as I can. Uh, I have three young boys right now, and I'm uh, I would say you know I'm, I'm fortunate fortunate enough to be able to spend the time with them. Uh, so I'm going to take advantage of that right now. Uh, eventually, I'm going to have to get into uh, to something else, uh, but I'm not quite sure what that's going to be yet. Uh, 
I've dabbled around with the thought of maybe getting into coaching one day, uh, but I, I but I'm not sure. Like I I I I don't know. I guess that a lot of that would vary on what kind of opportunities were out there. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm just enjoying my time at home right now. I want to, uh, you know, like I said, just take advantage of, of of being able to to be at home with my boys at, at this age. Uh, I, I started coaching uh, two of my boys at uh, minor hockey this year uh, until it got uh, until it obviously with uh, with COVID and the pandemic, uh, the, the hockey season got shut down, but. Uh, so I, I think that's, you know, the next little while I'm just going to be, that's all my focus is just going to be on, uh, you know, being a stay at home dad and, and raising my kids here. And, uh, eventually, uh, you know, eventually, hopefully, uh, something will come up that, uh, that intrigues me and, and I'll move on with that. Well, I look forward to really hearing about this, uh, about the world's longest game. I know it's actually the second time you've played 40 players, 252 hours of hockey starting uh, Thursday until February 14th, trying to break the Guinness World Record for longest game of hockey. It's absolutely uh, crazy. And again, if you want to donate and you're listening, you can go to um, worldslongestgame.ca slash donate. And and not only that, can you donate to the game itself, you could donate in honor of a player. So if you click on donate to a player, you could actually scroll down to Kyle Brodziak and donate in honor of him. You can even donate in honor of a volunteer. I know they've got uh, hundreds of volunteers there. Um, and again, this is to uh, for a future to free uh, this world of cancer. So Kyle, uh, really have fun this week. I, I hope uh, everything just turns out and you have a blast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's going to be... Uh... I think it's going to be the time of my life. I know that guys say that uh, there's a lot of challenges that go along with it. Uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of it depends on weather, and it it looks yep. like it's going to be there's there, there's going to be some moments where uh, you know we're playing it through the middle of the night where it probably touches down to minus thirty, but uh, I think for the most part it, it looks like it's going to be uh, it's not going to be too bad. So uh, yeah. There's going to be challenges, but everybody says it's uh, it's the time of your life, and uh, it's worth every uh, every bit of it. That's awesome, and it's such a great cause. Well, hey, thanks, Kyle. And if you're listening to this podcast, check out our comment section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app, and rate and subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber to the Athletic, go to theathletic.com/straight from the source and receive a subscription for just three dollars and ninety nine cents per month. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Have a blast this week. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.